leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us. So, yeah, like he was saying, I'm a Brian Kane. I'm a creative director um, for about the past 13 years, um, working mainly uh, at the, the tail end of the process. Network studios will come to us and with a project, and we'll try to create that, that multi-platform storytelling. Uh, worked with a lot of uh, different companies, mainly on entertainment projects, uh, movies, TV, books, uh, video games, even a couple of car companies in there. Uh, I currently live in Orlando, where I work. And uh, prior to that, I lived and worked in New York City. <laughs> I like Orlando a lot better. Uh, even back a few more years, I was a haunted house designer for a while. I love that girl's uh, reaction. Like, when scared, grab mom's boob and put leg around her. <laughs> That'll save you for sure, because dad's not going to do a damn thing. Uh, before that, I played online poker for a living for a while. And then even further back in time, I was a gold farmer for uh, EverQuest, an online role-playing game. What all these things have in common, besides the fact that I don't like having real jobs, is that they are, are best done if you know how people think, if you know what motivates them, how you can best exploit their behavior. So it was a very good way to get into the transmedia field. Um, when I talk at colleges, people ask me, like, what should I major in or what classes should I take? And I don't have any answer because I dropped out of college. But I do tell them to, that I played a lot of D&D growing up. <laughs> and I really think Dungeons and Dragons helped me with what I do today because it was all about inventing a story, you know, as a dungeon master, guiding people through that, reacting to how they reacted to your story. So it's a, it was a really good start for me. But we're not here to talk about uh, Dark Elves or... Uh, rolling for initiative. So talk about transmedia. And uh, my first thing here is I want to say that all of it solves a business problem. And lots of people will talk about transmedia in very lofty terms. In fact, that's part of the reason that there's uh, people don't like the word transmedia, because there's big fights online, big nerd fights, where they talk about transmedia being an art form, or Henry Jenkins will talk about it in you know, very scholarly terms. Uh, however you want to describe it, you know, is it um, brand experience building, or multi-platform storytelling. It all boils down to the fact that it's paid for by marketing. Going back all the way to Blair Witch, when people were passing around those VHS tapes and asking themselves, is it real, is it fake? They would go online with their dial-up modems back in 99, and they'd go to BlairWitch.com and ask those questions. It was the, the marketing guys at Artisan who were helping supply the funding that, that to explore that world deeper, to create those missing posters, to make that picture of the, the film cans that look like they've been buried for hundreds of years. So moving forward to the, the age of the dinosaurs, the args like uh, I Love Bees and Beasts, where it was a brand new medium to explore, and people were spending lots of time, and the companies were spending millions of dollars. It was all about marketing Halo and Spielberg's film AI. And even to the current day, obviously, with like Lost and uh, Prometheus, uh, Dark Knight, all that stuff paid for and funded by marketing. So now that you know who you're in bed with, 
Oh, and I'm going to preface this. This is obviously from an American point of view. I know Australia is different. You guys have uh, government funding, which I'm incredibly envious of. Uh, so I, I do think, though, that all these properties that I've, I've, I've listened to and, and read about, there's no reason you guys have to stay within Australia. You, you could definitely go for a wider release, go for an international audience. But if you're going to go and do that, you need to know the rules that everybody else is playing by, except for Canada. Canada is very similar, but forget Canada. <laughs> So what happens? Well, the first thing that happens is that you're going to be late to the party. And that's because marketing is almost the last thing that's considered in a traditional film cycle. And it's, this is my really bad Photoshop skills, but it shows you know, that in a traditional film development, you have concepting, scripting, uh, pre-production, production, post, and then finally marketing gets in. So what that means is that all that super cool world building stuff happens almost at the very end of the, of the process. Time and time again, uh, networks or studios have, have come to us and said, hey, we've got this really cool property. We think it'd be really great to do this multi-platform story to really expand the world. And we say, great, where are you at? And they say, oh, we launch in two months. And we're like, eh. so maybe a Tumblr blog would be great for you guys. <laughs> but I'm happy that we're here at this process for, for most of the films here because all that cool stuff can be thought about right at the beginning. And it really has a ripple effect on everything else you do because if you think about like, well maybe I wanna have a really minor character in my film that has a really major role online. You can do that when you start at this phase. Or if you're doing puzzles or games, you can actually embed the hints or the clues into your main property. Something that you can't do when you're talking about marketing at the tail end of the process. Uh, obviously, some people are doing things um, more like uh, more like this. Uh, Alan Ball uh, came to us for True Blood uh, even before he had written the the first scripts, and he came because he had a very specific reason. He needed to tell the story of what happened before True Blood aired. Uh, in the you guys are familiar with the series Vampires. Um, in the series, it starts off, vampires are already walking among us. But he, he knew that the audience uh, might need to understand why they were doing that. So when he came to us at, at Campfire, we were given the chance to do a prequel that not only explained that, but because it was so early in the process, it let us actually use a lot of the assets that we don't normally get to use. So I wanted to share the case study and have you guys uh, check out what happens when it's actually done, kind of right. <clears throat> This is what I received in the mail today. This piece of vellum. How did you hear about us? I saw the ad in the, the, the paper. How would you let me into that site? Once I get in, I can give you information. I'm going to give you read-only access to the site. This time, it's a padded envelope, and I open it up, and inside is this. Mm. Delicious. When you first developed your synthetic blood, you never intended for it to be used by vampires. This was discovered by us. A while ago, we noticed some strange messages posted online. These messages were a way for the vampires to communicate with each other under our radar. This is our night blood and our grave. It has been decided. The announcement of our presence is to occur. is 
to coexist peacefully with you and to enjoy the same rights and freedom as everyone else. We have some additional footage for you this evening. Vampires. Well, that is the name they are calling themselves. They are also using a newly developed synthetic blood from Japan called True Blood. Everybody's going crazy about most of the stores aren't even able to get it. I don't think we should subsidize their drinking habits. You've got me, the living undead. How does that make you feel? I don't want them living in my neighborhood. Should we just let them go and do whatever they want? They make me scared. Say no to the Vampire Rights Amendment. We simply want to be treated like any other member of society. You let him suck your blood. Yeah, I'm her property and I don't care who knows it. We are not what you see on the silver screen. We are not monsters. We are Americans. There are folk in this town with secrets that would make a vampire blush. Is that a fan recording me? Is this for that website? Blood copy. Yeah, I know what that's about. You know as well as I do, Andrew, nothing exciting ever happens in this town. Yeah, when Ace Girl came to me with these ideas, I was kind of bored with how smart they were. It tells a lot about the backstory. Working with the Campfire Agency in New York, HBO launched a show's promotional campaign back in May. And HBO's new vampire series, True Blood, is sinking its teeth into great ARV material. But this is just the surface. In my father's mansion, there are many rooms. Don't you want to see them all? Yeah, yeah, now it gets into the crazy metrics. So we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so that shows you what, what you can do with integrating talent, for example, when you start things at the very beginning. But even Alan Ball has to, you know, get it paid, get his stuff done through the marketing budget. So you have to ask, you know, how can I fit myself into that established business model? Um, there are ways to do it. I, one way is to go to the dark side a little bit. Yeah, I'm not talking about selling your soul out to the marketing department, but you can certainly think about it a little bit. <laughs> Uh, seriously, though, I mean, it's, 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 it's basically just taking the, the creative development of what you want to do for your, your storytelling and arranging it into a, a strategy that makes sense with the business goals that are already existing. Um, and it's funny, this is basically just an excuse to show a cool video, but when you start thinking about business goals in that direction, it starts to influence your creative. For uh, Terminator Salvation, our basic campaign plot was the idea that Skynet and you guys know about Terminator evil robots? Yeah. So Skynet was coming back from the future to the present day and building up uh, their company. So we thought, well, how would Skynet do that if they were like a brand new small company? Well, they're probably not very savvy, so they'd probably do infomercials. So we went and shot a Skynet infomercial. And then we wanted to have the main plot point of the, of the film embedded within the video, which is the resistance teaming up and fighting back against Skynet. But how would the resistance operate in the present day? Well, they'd probably be hackers. So imagine that it's 3 AM and you're in Los Angeles because we bought dirt cheap. Has everybody signed those NDAs? Because this is a really cool secret I'm about to tell you guys. 
One of the, one of the things we did was we found dirt cheap time on major networks and in the prime markets late at night in the infomercial space. I think we paid 500 bucks to be in LA. It was like at four in the morning, but it didn't matter because the fans would find this stuff anyway. Um, so imagine it's, it's four in the morning in Los Angeles. You wake up, you can't sleep. You go get a beer or, or milk from the fridge. You, you sit down on the sofa, you turn on the remote, and you see this on the screen. Since the first computers came into existence, people have imagined the future of artificial intelligence. Envision robots that not only walk and talk, but can hunt and kill. Dreamt of a time when machinery will exterminate the human race into a brave new world. Well, thanks to Skynet Research, Skynet Research, Skynet Research, and Skynet... Artificial intelligence prototypes are advancing so quickly, sometimes it seems they don't need any help from humans at all. Generating products and services to change human lives forever. Computer technology that will change the very face of the planet. Will surpass what is expected to have more and more humans placed in our facilities to make people immune from economic concerns altogether. Our products have infiltrated, infiltrated, so as you can imagine, we got a lot of uh, curious phone calls to the, the, the networks. But for the fans, it worked great because once they started hearing about this, they started forming groups in different cities. Like the Dallas group would say, okay, my DVR is going to record channel three. Because we wouldn't tell them what time it was going to come on. One guy would record one channel for the night, the other guy would record the other channel, and if they captured it, they would then upload it to YouTube, which helped spread the message. So as a, as a business strategy, it worked very well. Uh, but getting back to that really boring business stuff, the thing I was talking about was creating a strategic framework, and this is the way that you can use the, the creative concepts of, of your multi-platform storytelling in a way that aligns with the, the business strategies and the business goals of, of the marketing campaign. And it's really easy. It's just five different things I do, usually at the beginning of a campaign. It's a goal, a premise, audience, characters, and story. And these create a foundation that I can then later go back to when I'm you know, brainstorming all the cool stuff I want to do. I can say, does that fit what my goal is? So I thought it might be fun if we imagined, uh, uh, did an exercise here where we imagine our, that we're George Lucas back in 1977. The, the young, cool, really good looking George Lucas, not the current day George Lucas, <laughs> the cool George Lucas. Um, so it's, it's 1977. You've just finished, you know, making Star Wars. You're you're back in San Francisco. You're you know at a restaurant, and your old buddy Francis Ford Coppola comes in, and he says, "Ah, oh, it's going to be a great film. That Star Wars, the robots, people will love it. What's your transmedia plan?" <laughs> well, George, what's our transmedia plan? Let's let's use the the strategic framework to figure it out. What's the What's the goal of your campaign? And it can't be something as nebulous as put butts in seats. It needs to be more actionable, something that you can actually measure against. What's, what's the goal for our campaign on Star Wars? George, you are really thinking far ahead. <laughs> I like that. Anything else? Any, anybody? Something we can sell a lot of toys with. Yeah. Passionate fans. Yeah. Build yeah. a new universe. Ah, I like that. Yeah. 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 Y
I like that. Yeah. So uh, the one I had was to create, build, and engage fans into the Star Wars universe. And then we go to the premise. And the premise always mirrors the, the main property that you're campaigning for. So what's the premise of Star Wars? Bueller. <laughs> I, I think it's the hero's journey. I think it's the classic tale of young, naive kid learns a secret, engages in a fight, good versus evil, becomes, a, you know, becomes home a changed man. Uh, classic tale, you know, morality tale. So who's our audience for Star Wars? And I think sci-fi fans is way too easy. We're definitely going to get sci-fi fans for Star Wars. So who else can we go after? Everybody, yeah. But particularly, what kind of audience is a, uh, likes good versus evil, almost storybook kind of stories? Kids. Kids. Okay, yeah, kids. It was interesting is when I was doing research for this, I found out that Fox actually tested marketing before Star Wars came out, came out and uh, they found that females were turned off by the, the first trailer they released. So they actually retuned their marketing to push up the more mythical elements of Star Wars and to make sure that Princess Leia was a, a bigger presence in the trailer to try and attract women. And it kind of reminded me of the second coming you guys were talking about. Where are you guys at? Second coming, you guys are talking about the two different audiences you're trying to attract. So definitely there's ways to do it. Uh, the characters for our campaign, and these don't need to mirror the characters in the film at all, but they need to go against what our goal and our premise is. Any uh, suggestions? Come on, guys. Atheist. Atheist characters. What about that cantina scene, the classic iconic scene where you have all those different creatures? You know, when you saw that for the very first time, didn't you think that, wow, there's this whole universe this guy's made, and every one of these creatures in this, this bar has a story or has a home world, and they all have something to do and interrelated with each other. So maybe that's our characters. Uh, the a width and a breadth of the Star Wars universe being shown through the characters that we tell the story by. And finally, you know, the story, and this is where you just start brainstorming, what's the story that you want to tell for your campaign? And maybe that story relates to the, the characters. Maybe you want to show off that Star Wars uni universe. So it's not about the particular characters of Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, but it's more about creating that universe that everybody can play in. And what's interesting is when you think about this, that's kind of exactly what George did. Because one of the biggest, most iconic things to come out of Star Wars was the action figures, right? Which allowed every kid to play that role of good versus evil. Even, even the more other, the other stuff, the books they, he did, the, even up to present day, the Clone Wars, it's all about telling stories in that, building that universe out. So the strategic framework does work when you use it to, to base it against marketing goals. Obviously, though, because you are becoming part of the marketing campaign, you've got to be able to judge your success rate. And that's where metrics gets kind of weird, because people try to use traditional metrics on transmedia or multi-platform, and it doesn't really work. That's why, like, at the end of that True Blood case study, it got really weird metrics you started seeing. It didn't make a lot of sense. You know, with banner ads, you can count click-throughs. Or with a commercial, you can count how many people watched. But if you have an evil corporation website, what's the metric to judge against that? 
I think part of the answer is that you have to make sure your metrics make sense to what you're creating. You don't have to be stuck in the old style of thinking of my metric is how many people heard about the website, how many people engaged with the website, but think about it in terms of how you're creating the, the creative of the story that you're following through. I wanted to show you another uh, short little commercial as an example. Uh, I won't excuse this creative, but I will say that our target audience was males age 15 to 35, which did a pretty good job. Uh, but watch this and see if you can guess what the metric we used to gauge the success of this uh, short film. Are you a fan of thrilling first-person shooting games like the original Fear by Monolith? Then you're probably very excited about the upcoming release of Fear 2. I know I am. Is this excitement a good thing? Well, maybe. Or maybe not. Some game testers are finding that the game is too scary. In fact, during our trial run, there were a few isolated instances where game testers exhibited some mild distress while playing. Now, there's no need to worry. Here at Armacam, we're developing the Fear Away program, the ultimate safeguard for your gaming experience. I'll let one of our nurses explain. Oh, hi. My name is Lauren. Let me take you on a tour of what the future of gaming may look like. With Armacam's help, you can safeguard yourself against the unlikely event of a fear-induced panic by choosing the program that best suits your gaming needs. Our Silver Level membership will feature 24-hour hotline access to our highly trained fear counselors who are ready to assist you with any issues. Then there's our Gold Level Fear Away membership, which includes all the benefits of the Silver plus the Fear Away pendant. This pendant will allow our round-the-clock staff to contact local emergency services on your behalf. This is especially helpful if you find yourself unable to speak due to a lingering feeling of terror. And finally, there's our Platinum Level. This elite program will feature first-class care by our amply qualified Armacam nurses, all of them proficient in a myriad of techniques designed to put you at ease. Here at Armacam, we care about your gaming experience. And you. That's why we're working to make the future of gaming a bright and happy place. <laughs> to find out more, visit armacam.com. For more information, call 877-FEAR-AWAY. That's 877-FEAR-AWAY. Dude, all Fear 2 gamers should have Fear Away. <laughs> so can you guys guess what the metric was? Yeah, yeah, the phone number. Yeah, exactly. That's how we gauged if it was a success or not. People were watching it closely enough to think that this fake product was real and would call it up. But we also used it to engage the audience at a deeper level because we collected information on them willingly to put them deeper into the narrative. Um, the final two things for metrics obviously is audience buzz and earned media. Uh, audience buzz is, is uh, pretty uh, well-known, but earned media, I think, doesn't get enough attention. Um, it's great if you create a novel tactic that gets everyone talking, but it's even better if Wired Magazine starts talking about that. Um, think about how you create your, your tactics in a way that you can suggest that you get some kind of national reporting going on. And it's a feedback loop because Wired.com starts talking about it, which leads to your audience being driven into the campaign, which gets them buzzing about it, which draws more attention from more earned media. And this was a, this was a report I just found last night or the day before, which showed that actually 
buzz does relate to ratings increase. This is for TV from Nielsen, but it does show that uh, what, four weeks prior to your show's premiere, a 9% increase in buzz volume led to a 1% increase in ratings. And they track it all through the mid-season and the finale. But it does prove that these kind of tactics do have an effect on audience viewership. Um, and speaking of the audience, sometimes they'll drive you crazy because the stuff that we do is such an open experiential uh, concept that the audience has partial control over where the story goes and it will drive you crazy. Um, there's three different kinds of audience, skimmers, dippers, and divers, in my experience. The divers are the ones that go really deep into your story world. They're the ones that find that hidden video. They're the ones that figure out that puzzle and post about it. They're the smallest part of your audience, but they're the most engaged part of your audience. The middle level, the dippers, they're the guys that will probably go into the forum, find the video that the, the divers have discovered and post it on Facebook. They're the ones that are talking about it on their, on their news feed, on Twitter, but they aren't going as deep as the, the original guys. And then the top level of your audience, your skimmers, they're the ones that make or break your property because they're the largest segment of the population, but they're also the hardest ones to reach because they aren't going deep and uncovering your puzzles. They aren't going on posting your, the videos on Facebook or onto Twitter, but they might hear about it like at the water cooler at the office, or they might see a friend post a video on Facebook. You, that's the ones that you want to create the awareness of your property for, but they're the hardest ones to reach. And a lot of people say, well, why go after the divers or the dippers? Why not concentrate on the skimmers? And the reason you do that is for the world-building experience, when you have those perfect moments where what you do deep in the world comes up into the, the term viral video is wrong, but it comes up to a level where the pop culture realizes what's going on. And this is an example from a video game called Homefront. We, um, in, our, in our deep dive world, we were trying to figure out like um, what uh, city would best uh, fight back against uh, North Korea because in, in the video game is set in the year 2027 and North Korea has invaded and occupied America. It sounds very implausible, but we had a whole timeline figured out and stuff. But we were thinking about what city could fight back and we thought, oh, Salt Lake City could probably fight back pretty good because they have, uh, hear me out, this is a good theory, guys. <laughs> Because they have a high percentage of Mormons live there, and part of the tenets of Mormonism is that you're always prepared for a disaster, <laughs> either man-made or natural. You have to keep a stockpile of food and water. So it makes sense, to follow me now, if North Korea invades America, Salt Lake City will be best prepared to fight against them. So and we actually, in our story, we had Salt Lake City lead the rebellion. We had them coming out and fighting against the North Koreans. And of course, the North Koreans hated that, and they bombed the shit out of Salt Lake City in our, in our, in our story. So we created a video that showed that, and we buried it into our campaign. And the divers found it, and they started talking about it and started buzzing. And then it bubbled up a little bit higher level. We got uh, Machinima.com, which is a, a really large YouTube channel. Uh, premiered the video to a larger audience and it started bubbling up higher conversation until finally this perfect moment happened and there it is. the top of our newscast. Here is that shocking video again. Salt Lake City bombed and obliterated. It's all part of the promotion for a new video game that's out. 
Yeah, Fields Mosley, uh, we've seen New York destroyed. We've seen uh, L.A. I mean, uh, it's pretty much uh, average fare when you go to the movies. But why Salt Lake City and why like this? Well, Danny Bilson told me it's because Salt Lake City considered part of the American heartland. It is a place few can imagine being attacked or occupied by a foreign army, but that is exactly what their story is about. And for two more minutes, it goes on. <laughs> I was dancing a jig when I saw this video. I was like, yeah! So that's why you go and build the world. That's the kind of stuff you want to happen. That's your perfect moments. But you can go after the top level audiences. I think it works best when you're doing it uh, with a property that's already established or with a theme that people know about. Like uh, District 9 I thought was a really good example because everyone knows humans versus aliens, that, you know, that iconic thing. So they just plastered cities all across the world, I think, with these billboards and posters on, on buses that you walk past and you immediately got the message. Oh, it's aliens versus humans, aliens are bad. Then later on, when you saw the movie poster, you saw the trailer, you made that connection. And they did have some deeper dive stuff, but it wasn't really that big, that massive. It was mainly all focused on getting that top level of audience. We also did it for the second season of True Blood because we'd already established that deep world. Now we went after that top skimmer audience more uh, at a more attractive level, but we knew we wouldn't have those deep world building elements, so we tried to devise a way to get people talking anyway, and the way we did it was to create a fake controversy. We had uh, Gawker Media, which is a huge blog conglomerate, buy our vampire blog, and they did it in a very Rea uh, reality blurring way where it wasn't you know sure if it was fake or, or real and so we got people talking about the the wrongness of Gawker buying a vampire blog so here's the video for season two in its first season HBO's True Blood quickly amassed an audience of diehard fans but for an increasingly ravenous audience it wasn't enough just to witness the world of True Blood they wanted to be able to walk right into it Season 1's Vampires Among Us campaign let fans experience what it was like to live in a world where a product was openly marketed to vampires. For Season 2, vampires wouldn't just be walking among us, they would be deeply integrated into our society. HBO called it hacking reality, and it was all about blurring the line between reality and fiction. Occasionally, that line would be erased altogether. The True Blood campaign kicked off with a series of groundbreaking faux ads, which brought hacking reality to an unsuspecting public, hijacking the current campaigns of high-profile, iconic brands, then marketing their wares to vampires. High visibility, outdoor, print, online, radio, and cinema placement further amplified the effect, making the viewers look twice when they saw the ads on buses, billboards, and subways. Vanity URLs provided a mechanism to surreptitiously drive consumers straight back to HBO.com. The real power was the way HBO... So you guys can see the difference between the first season and the second season? Definitely going after a much more top level. Uh, one more thing, and whenever you say one more thing, Steve Jobs appears. So. <laughs> one more thing. Hey, Steve. I have a theory I call the Big Bang Theory, which I always think it's better to go big at the very beginning of anything you do. Uh, some people think it's better to save all your exciting, all your budget for closer to the premiere of your property, but I think the best time to go after an audience, the best time to create a rabbit hole for people to fall into your campaign is right at the beginning. And there's two different ways I've done it before. One is to 
create a controversy and piss people off. Uh, I think if you can get people upset, you can get them talking. If you get them talking, you get them talking about your brand, which is a great thing. And this is for, again, Homefront. Um, you have to imagine that you guys are typical Americans. And you see this video come out. All right, class, let's stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the liberated states of America. To the liberated states of America. One nation under Kim Jong-un. One nation under Kim Jong-un. Where every man is equal. Where every man is equal. And everyone is working toward the betterment of us all. And everyone is working toward the betterment of us all. All service and praise to the brilliant comrade Kim Jong-un. All service and praise to the brilliant comrade Kim Jong-un. So as you can imagine, all the comments on YouTube are cuss words, basically. <laughs> America, hell yeah! The other way you can do it is by personalization. Um, and, and Gunther talked about this a little bit with finding your audience. One of the ways I try to sh short track, uh, shortcut my way into finding an audience is to go after people that already have established audiences. So, for example, for Homefront, I went after video game writers, and I created a fake dossier that was based upon their real life that started off in reality but quickly veered off into fiction till in the year 2027, they were all you know, heroic resistance fighters fighting against the evil North Koreans. And I actually took their real photograph, and I aged it 20 years. So suddenly, all these guys were middle-aged. <laughs> Send it off to them. You know, it's a physical thing. They got it. They read it. Of course they published about it, because people love reading about themselves, and they love sharing that something has been created about them. We did the same thing with Shark Week, the lower picture, but instead of uh, a dossier, what we created was this uh, jar that had been like it had been floating in the ocean for years, and when you opened it up, we actually sent this physical jar to people, to writers, to video podcasters, uh, YouTube channel owners. When they opened it up, they pulled out all this evidence of a shark attack, like bloody pants and ripped apart surfboard pieces. And then there was this newspaper clipping. And they unrolled the newspaper clipping, and it was their obituary. They had been killed by a shark. And again, because it was personalized, of course they loved it. Of course they wrote about it. So that, that's, that's some ways to go after the audience. Uh, that's, that's, my, that's my thing. That's all I got. Multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us.